Welcome back to the Penalty Box Podcast. Liam Godimer here alongside my good friend and co-host Will Peshik. And it is a celebratory episode of the Penalty Box today because, Will, last night the Islanders got it done. They eliminated the Boston Bruins in six games. And boy, oh boy, was it so impressive. Ever since the end of game three, when Brad Marchand won the game in overtime, this series has belonged to the New York Islanders. I'm sitting here as a Ranger fan, obviously not happy that the Islanders are on the precipice of the Stanley Cup final. But, you know, being your friend and knowing a lot of Islanders fans and, you know, following this team, you know, in parts of last year in the bubble during the regular season, and of course, during the playoffs this year, I can't tell you how impressed I've been uh, and just how happy I am for the Islanders and their fan base that they're able to see a team that has a legitimate chance of going to the Stanley Cup and possibly even winning it. Will, what are you feeling right now? You mentioned game three. I think game three was probably one of their better games they've played. Remember, it was a one nothing hockey game, Boston, that is, into the third period on a goal that Semyon Varlamov would have liked to have back when they left, I believe, um, one of their bottom six forwards all alone in the, right in front of the goal. Mm. That's the goal that the Islanders want to have back. So I thought they played phenomenally well in game number three. I also thought game four and game six were their best games of the entire series. And I can't stress this enough. Having home ice advantage is such a key heading into the Tampa Bay series. You want to look at what they did in the bubble last year? Sure. Let's look at it. The Islanders losing game six in overtime to Anthony Sorelli. Would that, would it have been a different outcome if there were fans in the stands? Probably not. I still think Tampa would have won this year because Tampa was that good last year. It was their year. Whatever went right for Tampa Bay is going right for the Islanders right now. You know who's going to win the cup early in the playoffs with who has the most luck. Liam, I'm not saying this because I'm a homer. Look at the luck the Islanders had. Uh, game number three, uh, four against Boston. David Postrock has a wide open net. He misses it. If that goes in the net, Boston has a 2-0 lead. That series could turn around like that. Game number one, Pittsburgh, grade A chances. They hit the post three times in a single game. When, you, when the puck is going your way and you find ways to win, it's very hard for the opponent. Now, look, Tampa Bay, they have a lot of flaws. Aside from Victor Hedman, that defense is not producing like it was last year. Sergeyev and McDonough are not putting up the offensive numbers. The Tampa Bay bottom six, the Islanders have an edge there. Kyle Palmieri, J.G. Pajot, Casey Sezikis. These guys could score goals. And Liam, we said Islanders don't score many goals. They're second behind the Colorado Avalanche for most goals scored in the playoffs. And if Colorado loses tonight, the Islanders lead the playoffs in goal scoring. The Islanders are never going to blow anybody away with their roster on paper. It's just not a very talented roster on paper when you look at it. But under Barry Trotz, under this coaching system, and when everybody is giving it all that they've got, this is the results uh, that you're going to get. And I said it, you know, before the Boston series, I said if they were going to win this series and go on to the conference final, if you even want to call it that, they needed to get back to Islanders hockey. Will, for me, the flip switched when game four happened, when the Islanders played Islanders hockey, and they never relinquished that style of play. They were up in the Bruins' faces. They were aggressive. Even when they were up four to one last night, they were aggressive. 
And they were right in the Bruins' face, and they end up playing Islanders hockey, and they win three games in a row. Very, very impressive. And as far as home ice advantage is concerned, there is no other team left in the playoffs, and there is no other team in the National Hockey League that gets as much of a boost from their fans than the New York Islanders do at Nassau Coliseum. That's why on this podcast, you asked me two separate times, if the Islanders go and win on the road, are they going to come back to Nassau Coliseum and finish the series? I said absolutely both times, and that's exactly what happened. This team just doesn't lose at home. How many losses do they have at home? Two, right? They have one to Pittsburgh, one to Boston. Uh, But besides that, the Islanders have been playing some great hockey. They're acquisitions at the trade deadline are, you know, being very important. That's even going back to last year's trade deadline. JG Pajot has been very good. Maybe he hasn't put up the points, but he's been great defensively. And that's what you need from your top six and bottom six forwards. Kyle Palmieri, how pivotal was he? Not only in the Pittsburgh series, he scored the first goal of the series, eight goals. And then in, in the Boston series, you know, he gets a bunch of clutch ones on the power play. So look, this team without Anders Lee, it's even more impressive than I imagined. And, Will, I think you need to write them off once again when you do your prediction for Tampa Bay and the Islanders because you wrote them off for the first two series. You might as well. And look, me writing my team off is not saying that I don't believe in them. I simply think the teams that they played were better than they were. I think Pittsburgh throughout the season showed why they were so good. They won the, they won the East Division. Boston. Sure, they had a down season. Boston in the playoffs, you can never count against them. They're just a very good team come postseason time. But Liam, when is the NHL going to start taking acknowledgement to the Islanders? Back-to-back seasons where they've made it to the Final Four. And every series, dating back to last year in the bubble, these were the excuses. When they beat Florida, the media said Florida's not ready yet. When they beat Washington, Washington didn't want to be in the bubble. When they beat Philadelphia, Philadelphia overachieved. So what's, and then you go to this year, they beat Pittsburgh, Tristan Jerry stinks. They beat Boston, Tuka Rask was hurt. I mean, can we throw the excuses out the window and just admit that the Islanders are probably one of the better teams in hockey come playoff time? And it's showing them in back-to-back years. I think it's time to throw away that narrative. I thought it was time to throw away that narrative after last year. How can you look at last year's performance in the bubble and not be overly impressed by that? Like I just said, there are no team in the National Hockey League that gets more of a boost from their fans than the Islanders. And the Islanders has to go into last year's playoffs in the bubble without their fans behind them. And they still took the best team and the eventual Stanley Cup champion to six games. I'm sorry. By the if way, you didn't the longest, know. It, yeah, that's the longest any team took the lightning through the entire postseason. It was. I believe Dallas took them to game six as well. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't noticed it back then, you have to start noticing it now. There are just teams that just turn it on come playoff time. And Will, I saw a very interesting tweet. I can't pull it up right now because it's probably lost uh, in my Twitter feed, but it said something along the lines of the NHL during the regular season, the teams that thrive on speed and skill have so much success in the regular season and come playoff time. It's really the teams that don't rely on speed and skill that are thriving. The Islanders are a perfect example of that. They are not 
fast. They don't have as much skill as Boston and Pittsburgh and some other teams in the Eastern Division, but they know how to turn it on come playoff time. And it all goes back to one person, Mr. Barry Trotz. It was the best head coaching hire. I think in the, ever since I started watching hockey for a team and look, that's, that's obvious. That's going back what? 10, 12 years at this point, the impact that Barry Trotz has had on a roster that is not great on paper. They're, they, they look like absolute juggernauts. And before the bubble last year, that's something I wouldn't have believed. The Islanders made me believers in the bubble last year. And Will, that really hasn't changed. And it's unfortunate that the Islanders had to go up against Tampa Bay in the Eastern Conference final last year. And they have to go up against Tampa Bay again. You want to call for excuses? If the Islanders don't win this series against Tampa Bay, they have a lot of excuses because Tampa Bay is playing with a team that is $18 million over the salary cap. So there it is. But I think the Islanders got a little bit unlucky. You know, it's tough for me to take the Islanders in this series against the Lightning. I just think that the Lightning, they just check all of the holes. But if the Islanders are able to be opportunistic, and they're able to shut down the Lightning's top players just like they did the perfection line of Boston, they got, they got more than a good chance. Liam, let's remember that this is the, an Islanders team that was not at 100% in the bubble. They have more experience now. And they played Tampa Bay in the playoffs twice in the last four seasons. They've both lost to Tampa Bay. And Barry Trotz had to defeat the Lightning in 2018 to win the Stanley Cup. So the Islanders are looking for revenge right now to the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that's an important, that's an important note too. Barry Trotz knows how to beat this team. He does. That's, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. And he's faced John Cooper a bunch of times in the postseason. Um, I think the Islanders, let's break it down this way. Tampa Bay could outscore them. But if you look at the goal scored in the playoffs, the Islanders are at the top. But I think Tampa has that edge there. The defense, aside from Victor Hedman, I'm going the Islanders here. You I, I agree. Do, you know, defensively wise. And goaltending, it's a no-brainer. It's Andre Vasilevsky over Semyon Farlamov. But Liam, we say it all the time, defense wins championships. And that's exactly how they played against Pittsburgh and Boston. Yep, that's exactly how they played against Pittsburgh and Boston. And Will, I think I need to get into specifics here in regards to the Islanders defense. I went to an Islanders game with you at the Barclays Center, I believe three or four years ago. It was the Islanders against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And the Islanders gave up 50 shots on goal through two periods. And we were just talking about one defenseman in particular that just had an abysmal game. I know what his name was. His name was Adam Pellick. And I ended up getting his autograph. And I think you got his autograph as well because uh, he was getting interviewed by Sharon Hogan during the post-game show. Adam Pellick just might be the, the second best defenseman in this series. I don't think he's better than Hedman, but he's the second best defenseman in this series. He was the best defenseman in the Boston series. He was the best defenseman in the Pittsburgh series. I think he's top five defenseman in the entire NHL. When it, when it comes down to defending, yes. yes. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. And it's a shame that Adam Pellick doesn't get a lot of power play time and he doesn't put up the offensive numbers because if he did, that's a Norris Trophy winner right and there. You know what's interesting about that is the Norris is given out to the to the to what they say is the best defenseman. But it's usually given out to the guy that produces the most offensively. But the whole point of a defenseman 
is to play defense to keep the puck out of your own net. Adam Pellick is the most underrated defenseman, and I think the longer they go on in the postseason, people in broadcast have realized how good he is. And shall I mention, he needs a new contract in the offseason. And I believe he's getting paid just a shade over a million dollars uh, right now. How much of a bargain is that? Well, yes, very much so a bargain for a Norris Trophy caliber defensive defenseman uh, like Adam Pellick. But, Will, I want to transition here. And I want I have the scores of every single game in the Islanders versus Lightning Eastern Conference final from last year in the bubble, because you brought up an interesting note about the goal scoring and how the Islanders are going to be able to shut down the top goal scorers of the Tampa Bay Lightning, your Braden points, your Nikita Kucherov, your Steven Stamkos, your bottom six guys like Blake Coleman, Barkley Goudreau, how good all of those guys are. So game one, I'm sure you remember the Islanders lose eight to two. That's a throwaway game. You said it during the Vegas and uh, and Colorado game one. Seven game series against the Flyers. The yeah, absolutely. Game two, two to one lightning victory. That is a one goal difference, and you're able to keep the lightning to under three goals. That's a good outing. Remember, that was the game Kucherov scored with like three seconds to go in regulation. I remember. Yep. Game three. Tampa Bay takes a two to one lead. Uh, excuse me. The Islanders cut Tampa Bay's lead to two to one. They win five to three. So again, you're keeping the lightning off the board. Game four, four to one lightning win. Okay. Maybe a couple empty net goals in there, but you know, you're still keeping the lightning at bay. The reason why you lost those games were not because of the goals that were given up. You lost those games because you weren't able to score enough. And I've talked about it. You've talked about it. Everybody who's talked hockey on podcasts, on ESPN, NHL Network, what have you, they continue to say that the Islanders are extremely opportunistic. And that is a quality that they simply didn't have in the bubble last year. That's something they have this year. To wrap it up, uh, Tampa Bay, a two to one loss in double overtime. So the Islanders win two to one. I believe that was Jordan Eberle who got that game winning goal. And then the Lightning won it in six on another two to one victory. So if you eliminate game one, this was a relatively close series all the way through. So the Islanders to win this series, I don't think it comes down to as much keeping the Lightning off of the scoreboard. I think it's getting on the scoreboard yourself. And I think Matthew Barzell. He, he, he showed signs of life in the series against Boston. He needs to sprout against the Lightning if the Islanders want to win this series. What do you think about that? I think – you want to know what I really think? I think Barry Trotz is realizing the production he's getting from Brock Nelson, Josh Bailey, Anthony Beauvillier, John Gabriel Pajot, and now Kyle Palmieri. And he's content with Barzell – taking the big defenders on the ice for his shift. If you watch, when Barzell's on the ice, who do you think was defending him on Boston? Matt Grizzlick and Charlie McAvoy. Now, when he plays Tampa Bay, it's going to be Victor Hedman and probably Mikhail Sergachev. So when he comes off the ice, so do the big defensemen. And that's where the Nelson score goals. Palmieri scores goals. Pajot scores goals. To me, I think Barrett Trotz is like, look, Barzell may not be producing offensively at the pace we want him to pace, but he's still a threat, and he's going to wear down that defense trying to catch him until he's off the ice and they get fresher legs on there to take advantage of the scoring chances. They did not have that last year. They relied on one player to score, and it was him. And now they're getting off into production from all four lines. 
Absolutely. And I'm just going to read off to you the goal scorers from last night's game. Obviously, you watched the game, you know, every player who scored. But that's why what you said was so important. Travis Zajac hadn't scored a goal in the entire postseason. That might have been one of the first goals he had as an Islander, uh, if I'm not mistaken, maybe his second or third Islander goal. First Islander goal comes in a huge spot, gives the Islanders a one nothing lead last night, really sets the tone. Brock Nelson makes it two to one. Brock Nelson makes it three to one. If the Islanders are going to win this series against Tampa Bay, they need Brock Nelson to be that number two center, that number three center who can have an impact. He's got size. He's got grit. He can get to the front of the net. He has a great shot. He needs to start scoring goals, getting two from him last night. That's huge. And you talk about opportunistic. Nelson's second goal was a clear giveaway by Tuka Rask, and he was able to deposit it uh, past him. And that pretty much ended the game. Because once the game was three to one Islanders, you knew Boston wasn't scoring four goals and winning that game. Palmieri scores the fourth goal. We've talked about Palmieri. He has eight, excuse me. He has seven goals actually uh, this season, an unassisted goal. But you know what? Palmieri, he's everything that Boston wanted Taylor Hall to be. Now Kyle Palmieri is doing it for the Islanders. One of the most underrated sign, uh, excuse me, trade accusations at the deadline. Have to give full credit to Lou Lamorello there. And for Travis Zajac too, because even if Zajac isn't producing as many points or goals as Palmieri is, he's a veteran presence. He's been to the Eastern Conference, excuse me, he's been to the Stanley Cup final in 2012 against the Los Angeles Kings. He's been here before. And he's and ready. remember what, why they got him. Yep. They lost their captain, Andrews Lee, who's not going to play again. So you want to have a leadership presence on the ice. Well, Kyle Palmieri was an alternate captain. Travis Zajac was an alternate captain. Andy Green was an, uh, was the captain of the, of the New Jersey Devils. So and on top of that, Bailey, Nelson, and Clutterbuck all have A's. So that locker room is filled with presence and leadership, guys that have done it before. And that's why they're in the spot they're in. Just, just to finish this up, Cal Clutterbuck uh, scored an empty net goal made at five to two. He's a huge piece because Barry Trotz, he's put out that fourth line in key situations and they have stepped up. They have risen up to the challenge of going against lines like the perfection line. They do not back down from, you know, superior talent on the other side. What does Clutterbuck want to do? What does Martin want to do? What does Sezikis want to do? They want to get in your face. They want to create turnovers. They want to be sound defensively, and they want to help get garbage goals to get this team where they need to be. And then, of course, Ryan Pulak gets the sixth and final goal. He has three goals uh, during the playoffs. I believe he didn't have three goals the entire regular season. So, Will, all of that is coming to say one thing. For a team to win the Stanley Cup, everything has to come together at the right time, at the right place. After game six last night, I truly believe for the Islanders that everything is coming together at the right time, at the right place. And boy, oh boy, if they get past the Tampa Bay Lightning, they have a legitimate shot, a legit shot to hoist their first Stanley Cup since 1984. What the, I wonder what the Toronto media would do if it's Montreal Islanders. <laughs> I, you know, if, if I would just put myself in the shoes of a Toronto fan, I, I would root for Montreal. And for two reasons, number one, there's no love lost between the Islanders, of course, and Toronto. But number two, I think that, you know, some 
fans in Canada, most fans in Canada want to see a Canadian team finally win the Stanley Cup, even if it's not the Leafs. Look, it hasn't happened since 1995, uh, with, excuse me, 1993 with the Montreal Canadiens. So why not the Habs do it again? But uh, that, that's a fun little scenario to bring up. But Will, let's address the goaltending now. For each team. And of course, Semyon Varlamov took over the goaltending duties uh, from Ilya Sorokin. I believe, was it after game two or three? After game one. Okay, excuse me, after game one. Where do you go here? Because you have Varlamov who's playing very well, but he's been shaky at times. And you have Sorokin who can really be that catalyst, you know, to really surprise the Lightning and really frustrate them because they haven't seen Ilya Sorokin ever. They didn't see him last year in the bubble. And of course they didn't see him this year uh, in the split division. So what's your thoughts on, on the Islanders? I think it's going to be a game by game scenario. Mm-hmm. I think Barry Trotz has instilled faith in both goaltenders. And if Varlamov has a phenomenal game in game one, he starts game two. And if he does it in game one, he goes to Sorokin in game two. I, I think he's very comfortable in doing that. And you saw that not many teams make a goalie change mid series. Islanders did it twice in two different series where Sorokin played game one against Pittsburgh, Varlamov played two and three, and Sorokin was four, five, and six. And then in round two, it was Varlamov game one, uh, Sorokin game one, and Varlamov the rest of the way. So th- they're very comfortable doing that. And Will, correct me if I'm wrong, but did Barry Trotz go to Thomas Grice at any point during that Tampa Bay series as he a did. starter? He did. Okay. Because yeah. Even before then, he started Thomas Grice game seven against the Flyers. Right, And then Varlamov for game one against Tampa. So he has a habit for doing this. And it, it even goes back to his capital days where Philip Grubauer played the first two games when they won the Stanley Cup in 2018 in the opening series when they fell behind 2-0 and then insert Braden Holpe. So he has a habit for doing this. It's not just with the Islanders. He's very comfortable in that, in that scenario. That's very interesting. I mean, personally, I would start with Varlamov. I think Varlamov has showed you, you know, past those couple of gaffes that he has had on relatively easy shots, shots that he would like to have back. He has showed you that he can be solid, compact in that when his team just gives him a chance to win. And I think scoring that first goal is really the most important thing. They did that last night against the Boston Bruins. And it really, I think, settled Varlamov down, took off a lot of the pressure. And that's why he was able to have as great of a game as he did not only last night, but in game five, game four, game three and uh, game two. But Let's go to the other side now. The best goaltender in the National Hockey League for the Tampa Bay Lightning, Andre Vasilevsky. It's got to be a tall task, but when your team thrives on opportunistic goals, there sometimes can be nothing that the opposing goaltender can really do. And that's why I think the Islanders might find some success uh, against Andre Vasilevsky this series. And let's remember... Tuka Rask played outstanding in the postseason, especially in Boston. When it came to the Islanders, he turned into a turtle. Um, I think it might be the fans. Uh, I think goalies don't like playing in that building. So I'm, I'm telling you right now, Liam, I think the Islanders are going to find ways to beat Vasilevsky. And like I said, Barry Trotz has faced him a ton of times in the postseason. I think he knows a thing or two about beating them, too. And just an interesting note on Tuka Rask, I'm very surprised that we have not heard anything uh, about the extent of the injuries. The only thing that I heard was Bruce Cassidy. Yeah. 
yeah, I heard Bruce Cassidy say that there may be surgery, there may not be surgery. Uh, but personally, uh, just on one Bruins note before we continue with the Islanders and the Lightning, I do think that this is the last run for Tuka Rask. I think he is going to retire uh, at the end of the season or at the end of the playoffs, at least. I had the pleasure of meeting Tuka Rask at the NHL store. He's a very nice fella, and I wish him best uh, in retirement. I don't Let think he gets a lot thing. of black. What do the Bruins, Bruins do now? Like, what did they uh, – because – Marshawn's older, Bergeron's older, Krejci is a lot older. What does this team do? Do you think they enter a rebuild? Because they're not a move away from the Stanley Cup. They're not. Islanders exposed a lot of weaknesses. Their defense is brutal. So what do they do if, if you're the Boston Bruins? Because you lost – your best shot was in 2019 when you lost to St. Louis. Hmm. So what do you do now? Well, this Boston Bruins team reminds me a lot – of the 2017 San Jose Sharks because the Sharks went to the Stanley Cup final in 2016 against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And that was their shot. That was their chance with that core to win the cup. Obviously they lose to the Penguins who would go on to win the Stanley Cup the next year as well. The Bruins, they had their one shot. They had their one chance, just like the Sharks did against the St. Louis Blues. They failed to get the job done. And what happened to the Sharks since that year, since 2016, since they went to the cup final? Well, you know, for a couple of years, they were, you know, in the postseason race, they would make it to the conference finals or the quarterfinals here and there. But getting back to the Stanley Cup was never an attainable goal. And all the while, having veterans like Patrick Marlowe, like Joe Pavelski, like, you know, and having to, and Brett Burns, having to make these big decisions on where to go for the future. The Bruins are in a very similar spot. And, you know, you look at the Sharks now, if I'm, if I'm a Sharks fan in 2017, one year after going to the Stanley Cup final, and you told me it's best for you guys to just rebuild and start over, I would have laughed in your face. But what happened? The Sharks didn't rebuild. They didn't start over. They went for the big free agent splash. They signed Eric Carlson to a $10.5 million contract, and that looks like one of the worst contracts in the entire National Hockey League. You have to know as a team when your time is up and when to move on and tear it down. And for the Bruins, maybe, maybe I'd give it one more kick at the can with Jeremy Swayman. But if it doesn't work next year, I think you gotta. I think you gotta move on from key pieces like Bergeron, like Marchand. I just, I just think 2019 was as good as it was going to get for this team as currently constructed. Will seems to be muted at the moment. Uh, <laughs> Interesting, because how good is Jeremy Swayman? I mean, could this be a one-hit wonder, or could he be this legit? Who knows? But all I know is is that the Islanders are now making teams rebuild. Pittsburgh and now Boston. It's not going to happen at Tampa Bay, but we'll see what happens. Liam, I want to talk to you about now about the other teams still playing, and that's the Winnipeg uh, – wow, well, Montreal swept Winnipeg. I have nothing to say about that series. Just carry Price as a brick wall. But Vegas, Colorado, because I'll be honest with you, Liam, Colorado to me is the, ter- the, the, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs for the United States. So they just have a great regular season, all this hype. And Vegas, I told you, throw away game in game one. You even said it in the podcast, too. Won't be a very long series, and they have flipped a switch, and now they're making Colorado look like the dummies. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm still going to stick with my pick despite a three games to two deficit in that series. Was game one a throwaway game? Absolutely. And you made a great point mentioning that. And Vegas has proven that to be true. I think Colorado is just too talented. It would be very disappointing if they fail to come out of this series winners, just like they did against Dallas last season. It's going to be a great game tonight. I'm pulling for Colorado. I want to see them pull it off. Uh, I won't be upset if Vegas wins either, but I just think that Colorado is just too talented uh, of a team to thwart this opportunity. But Vegas has Vegas has changed my opinion. Colorado gets knocked out of the postseason. The winner of the Islanders-Tampa Bay series is the pick to win the cup for me. Yeah, you know, if the Islanders play Vegas, um, you know, look, I I don't think that you should take away anything from Vegas. Uh, I think Montreal, definitely there is something to be said there. And look, I've written off Montreal at every single corner uh, this episode. Uh, Since the start (laughs) of the season, I said we're going to win the North Division. I said that they were going to be number two in the North division, but I wrote them off against the Maple Leafs. I even took, I even took the Maple Leafs to win game seven against the Canadians. That didn't work out. And then once we got to the jets and the Habs, I took Winnipeg and that just blew up in my face because we didn't get this, the last episode of the penalty box out uh, on anchor and, you know, out through Spotify and Apple podcast until yesterday. And on that show, I said, that I think that Winnipeg was going to come back and win the series when it was two to nothing. Since then, of course, Winnipeg lost the next two. They've been swept. Montreal moves on to the conference final, uh, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, I think it's going to be great. I'm still hoping for Colorado. You got a chance. You're able to win game six tonight, game seven in Colorado. It's going to be really tough for the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, but we will certainly see. And as far as Montreal, you have to give them all the credit that they deserve. They are very well built from line one to line four. They are well built. The defense is great. They got a world-class goaltender um, in Carey Price. And I really look forward to see what they're able to do. And I hope if, you know, whether it's Colorado or whether it's Vegas advancing to the conference final here, I really hope that Montreal doesn't get swept. I hope they put up a good fight because I'll be looking forward to that series. I'm just what has been the biggest reason Colorado just can't seem to get it done? I mean, Nazem Kadri suspended. I mean, is he making it, is it that big of a difference? What's like, what's, why is Colorado keep hitting these speed bumps? I think when you lose depth down the middle, I think it takes a little bit uh, of a piece out of you. And I think that Nazim Kadri, he is the avalanche number two center on that team. And to get an eight game suspension, Wow. And I don't think Kadri did himself or the avalanche any favors by appealing the suspension because now Kadri's out, I believe, for the rest of the series. And if they make it, you know, to the conference final against the Montreal Canadiens, he's out for a majority of that series as well. So, yeah, it takes a hurt depth down the middle. But if I look at this team, I hate to say this. I really do. But I think the main reason why Colorado is struggling, especially in the last few games towards the end of this series against Vegas, their top players aren't playing like their top players. Nathan McKinnon looked great in game one. He looked like a world beater against St. Louis. But since then, he's been a little bit quiet. It comes down to the, you know, the mentality of what I told you at the beginning of the show. Speed and skill kills during the regular season. It doesn't really do the same during the playoffs. Connor McDavid is learning that 
you know, people on, on Toronto, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, they're learning that. And I think McKinnon's learning that as well. And I think that Vegas is just, they're not built on just skill. They're built on their back end. They're built on goaltending. They're built on grit, toughness, guys like Ryan Reeves, def- defensive offensive players like Mark Stone. I just don't think Colorado has that extra layer to their team. And if they lose this series, I think in the end, that's what holds them back. Well, they went out and they got Devon Taves. And you put him now with Campbell Carr, Sam Gerrard. It makes that defense a whole lot stronger. But I can say this. You can't have a 2-0 lead in the third period and lose. It, it, it just can't happen. From the third period to overtime, all Vegas. And that's why they say you can't play 40 minutes. You can't play 55. You have to play a full 60 to win in the postseason. And they flat out didn't. And credit Vegas for battling and battling and battling and finding ways to score goals. And Will, in game five, you bring up a very interesting point. In game five in the third period, Vegas scored two goals in a span of the first four minutes of the third period to tie that game. And it only took them 50 seconds in overtime to win it. Absolutely. Colorado needs to be able to shut them down when they have a lead. I just do want to put out another note uh, on the Colorado Avalanche. Head coach Jared Bednar, uh, he is having irregular COVID test results, so he may not be available tonight behind the bench uh, for the Avalanche. So that's obviously going to play a huge role. Obviously, everyone here at the penalty box hopes that Jared Bednar is not positive for COVID. Hope he's doing uh, very well. But, Will, I want to transition to one uh, final topic here. And it has nothing to do with the playoffs right now as currently constructed. But I want to know if you heard, and I might pull it up so everybody could listen to it. I want to know if you heard the comments that Mike she- Mark Shifley had to make during his, I guess, going away press conference or, you know, heading home press conference about the hit on Jake Evans, because it was very interesting. I don't want to quote him here, but did you see it? And if you did, what do you think? I'm going to pull it up in just no, a I, I didn't. Uh, let me make you the, the host so you can pull that up. Right. Um, I, I didn't. But after that, I want to talk to you about the Bruce Cassidy comments. So this is a good segue into postgame comments. So pull up the Shifley. Uh, I, I want to know what he said, because no, I did not see that. Just give me one moment. We could talk about the Cassidy thing while I'm pulling it up. But Bruce uh, Cassidy is a clown. I mean, the fact that he went out and said, we're getting calls and they're not, no, that's flat out untrue. How about you don't give up three power play goals to the worst power play team in the postseason? How about you do that, Bruce? How about your penalty kill plays like a good penalty kill? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, I, and look, I think that the Bruins got their amount of power plays in the ensuing game. So, and look, I think the referees kind of listened and kind of said, you know, okay, fine. If you're going to, excuse my language, bitch and moan about this, Bruce Cassidy, we'll give you power plays and see what happened. Look what happened. They gave the Bruins power plays and they still lost three games in a row. So uh, what do you think about Cassidy calling the Islanders the New York Saints? I didn't really get that reference. He said that the Islanders don't do anything wrong and, and how they always think that they're Saints. Well, we're the least penalized team in the league. Like, we don't, we don't take penalties. And sure, were, were they questionable calls? Sure. But your penalty kill has to be consistent. You can't go one for four in your PK and expect to win the game. You gave the worst power play in the league three power play goals. Three. That's, and that's never been done on, on, under Barry Trotz for the Islanders, ever, since he took over as the head coach. So yeah. 
keep the puck out of your net, Bruce. I mean, what do you want me to say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he certainly has to keep the puck uh, out of his net. And uh, again, I don't understand that Saints reference. Was he making uh, a reference to the National Football League or something? Oh, he was. He, he was. He was being sarcastic and say, "Oh, they play more like Saints because they always think they don't do anything wrong." Okay, gotcha. All right, well, I'm going to pull up this video of Mark Shifley right now. So this is completely different than the comments from Bruce Cassidy. This was interesting. Here's what Mark Shifley had to say in response uh, to getting suspended and then his team subsequently getting swept uh, in the second round. Let's pull it up here. All right. You have to uh, either take your headphones out because I, I can't hear. Uh, oops, my fault. How about now? No, you might have to share your sound. No? So exit exit out of, of the share screen and then go to share sound. You know, Zoom should make this a lot easier. It's like they have all these. I thought it was going to be trying to. Are you here? Go. All right. Sorry about the technical difficulties. Got to figure out the microphone and the headset. But here is what Mark Shifley had to say about the Jake Evans hit and the subsequent sweep of his team. Obviously, it's 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 crushing to you know that my season was ended um, by that, and I wasn't able to I wasn't able to play in this series. We lost it, Liam. Safety that shut me down. So that that. Oops. Can't even mute myself. Uh, I wasn't able to play in this series. Um, you know, I thought I was going to be, I thought I was going to be trying to shut down by Philip Deneau and, you know, it was Department of Player Safety that shut me down. So that, that definitely sucks. You know, you guys, the media, you know, had us not making the playoffs, being a bottom feeder in the league. So, you know, that's where, you know, you guys, you guys, you guys get caught, you know, contradicting your guys selves all the time. So, you know, you guys, you guys didn't have any hope for this team. Um, from from day one, um, and I think we proved you guys wrong all season long. Obviously, it's it's it. Yeah, that's interesting because I do agree with what he said. Like the harder player safety shut him down, but if he wasn't injured, he would not have gone suspended. And credit for him for sticking up for his team. Again, he's a leader in that room. You know, the the media picked your team to finish worst in the north in the division. Mostly, everybody did. And they swept Edmonton. So I I don't care what he said. I think yeah. Will, it's very interesting you say that because everybody who has watched this clip has responded to it saying that their respect for Mark Shifley has gone way down after seeing that. And Will, you and I seem to have differing perspectives. I agree with you in what you're saying. I thought that it was definitely a charge. It was definitely a suspendable play. But it was also somebody putting in a lot of effort to get back on the defensive end to prevent an empty net goal. And look, the Department of Player Safety, we get on them for having suspensions that are not long enough or fines that should be suspensions or suspensions that should be fines. I'm okay with what they gave Shifley. If I were George Paros in the Department of Player Safety, I would have given him one or two games. I would not have given him four games. I think it's a suspendable play, but I don't think it's as egregious to take him out for the entire series. Uh, and I also think that Shifley is right. I think that there is a complete double standard to the Department of Player Safety. The fact that Mark Shifley gets, uh, excuse me, gets suspended for four games for doing that. And Don Wilson gets a $5,000 fine. Yes, I'm still going to talk about it uh, all these months later. That's just ludicrous. That's just ridiculous. And he makes a great point about the media. Everybody wrote them off. Hell, I wrote them off. 
I said that this team was going to be what? Six or seven in the North Division, maybe right above where Ottawa would be. Will, you took them to make the playoffs. What do you think? He's a leader in that room. He's an alternate captain for a reason. He's sticking up for his team. I don't see the reason with that at all. I, I don't see why people would be mad at that. He's, it's his job to stick up for his team, and he did. Yeah, uh, I think I, I agree with you. Uh, I think that Shifley, it's just a hard hockey play, and I'm just going to leave it at that. But, well, before we end this episode of the Penalty Box, I do want to mention three things on the Rangers front. Number one, the NHL has released its three finalists for the 2021 Norris Trophy, and Mr. Adam Fox is on that list. It is Adam Fox, it is Victor Hedman, and it is Kale McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche. Will, I will ask you as the Islanders fan, does this award go to anybody else but Adam Fox? I don't know. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of bias that goes into it because – People know Victor Hedman. People know Cal McCarr. They're in the postseason. But does postseason play have anything to do with, with who wins what award? Uh, you know, I don't think that that's a good point because I don't think that there has been a Norris Trophy winner who has not made the playoffs in the foreseeable future. I don't even know if that has happened ever. But, Will, if you compare the statistics side by side, Cal McCarr does not even compare to what Adam Fox put up on the offensive end or the defensive end. And Victor Hedman, yeah, say what you want about Hedman. He's fantastic. He's had one of the worst seasons of his career this year in 2020 during the regular season. Not during the playoffs, but during the regular season. His team got scored on more times when he was on the ice than when he wasn't. So for me, Will, I take experience out. I take whether you're in the playoffs out. I just do it by process of elimination. If you look at the advanced stats and if you look at the stats on paper, it's all coming up Fox. And I think I, I would be shocked if Adam Fox does not win the Norris trophy. Um, one more note on the Rangers. They are on the precipice of hiring their next head coach. There have been a lot of names put out there. Rick Tockett, who obviously had uh, a lot of experience with Arizona, had, you know, did well in some stints there. And of course, Gerard Gallant, who took the 2018 First year Vegas Golden Knights all the way to the Stanley Cup final. Will, from an Islanders fan's perspective, which really head coach nominee do you think would be the best fit for the Rangers? I'm going to sit here. I'm going to say it's going to be Gerard Gallant. I think overall he's going to be the best coach. He's going to help with your special teams. He is a team coach. It means that he wants to get the locker room on the same page. I like that. I like that mentality. And he seems to just be even keeled, you know, with everything. And I think for I Rick Tockett, he didn't have a lot of success in I, Arizona. So. I, I think there's something fishy with why he got canned from Vegas because he's a phenomenal head coach. Uh, maybe there was some off-ice concerns with him. Maybe he didn't get along with the ownership or management there. I think the no-brainer, in my opinion, is Gerard Gallant. And if it's anything but Gerard Gallant, I think it's a disappointing hire, in my opinion. If it's a Jack Capuano, if it's a Rick Tockett, no offense to them. I just think the best head coach on the market is John Tortorella and Gerard Gallant. Any other of those two guys, I, I, I don't think is a hire for a team that is on the cusp of making a playoff. And we just saw what Gerard Gallant was able to do in the world championships, uh, obviously uh, being the head coach of Team Canada and taking them all the way to a gold medal. So this is a guy that knows how to win. He has had coaching experience relatively, you know, after the season started, even though he's been 
laid off, I guess you could say, uh, for an entire year in anticipation of 2021. They're going to do it. They're going to hire a head coach. Me and Will certainly hope it is Gerard Gallant. Last topic here on the penalty box. Last topic on the Rangers. Will the Jack Eichel talks continue to go on and well, on and on? Eichel, this is from w, uh, WGR 550. Um, this is from Friedman. I don't know if it's Elliot Friedman. It is. Elliot Friedman said, at the end of the day, I don't think the Sabres want to bring back Jack Eichel. They want to move on. Um, we all know he has a contract status. Somebody who's not a playoff team is going to get Jack Eichel. Um, I don't think it's the Rangers for various reasons. They're going to have to give up a lot to get him. You would think Adam Fox or Alexi Lafreniere is going to be in the talk conversation. They have to keep Zibanejad. So you're going to, but you, you have to lose your future to get one guy. In my opinion, Lafreniere and Fox are, are non-starters uh, in that trade. But look, another interesting thing that Elliot Friedman also came out with is that the Kings seem to be backing off a little bit uh, on their desire to get Jack Eichel in a trade. So if the Kings are backing off and if they're stepping out a little bit, then again, what we did with the Norris Trophy conversation we can do for the Jack Eichel trade talks is it a process of elimination type thing? Because any analyst you talk to, any person who does podcasts revolving the National Hockey League, they'll tell you that the two biggest suitors for Jack Eichel are the New York Rangers and the Los Angeles Kings. There haven't really been a lot of mumblings or talks about the Rangers and Eichel, and I don't really think that's a bad thing. But with the Kings and Eichel, Maybe the Kings and Ike and, and the Sabres had a conversation and, you know, it turned into guys like Turcott, like Byfield. And that's where the Kings really were uncomfortable in making any kind of trade like that. I also think that Jack Eichel's neck issues also uh, play a role uh, into what's going to go on with this trade. So I think if you're the Rangers, I think if you're any team. Everything has to come into place the right way. You're not going to give up your top guys. You're not going to give up your top prospects because if you acquire Jack Eichel, you could be acquiring damaged goods because he does have a neck issue. He is going to have to have surgery on that neck. And will he be close to the same player he was? I don't know. It's going to be a very interesting offseason for sure. I would put I put Montreal as the favorites to get Pierre Luc Dubois, and they were in it for a good time of the trade talks. Montreal, I'm I think they could go after Jack Eichel. I really do. I think they could as well. Look, they have pieces that Buffalo would be interested in. And I'll just name a couple right off the bat: Nick Suzuki and Yasperi Kakaniemi. I don't think that Montreal would be too keen on giving up on on Nick Suzuki, but Kakaniemi maybe. He was 2019, maybe 2018, 2019 draft pick, number three overall from Finland. Hasn't really blown up. Alexander Romanov, too. And Alexander Romanov. So, look, that's a very interesting team, man. If you can have Pierre-Luc Dubois and Jack Eichel down the middle in your top six, Toronto Toronto fans are kicking their teeth. Dubois is on Winnipeg. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not Dubois. I'm sorry. It would be – is it yeah, Jonathan? you mentioned. Uh, they have Jonathan Drouin down the middle as well. Who, and and uh, Felice Dano. 
and Philippe Deneau. Philippe Deneau is a free agent. I hope the Rangers give a call to Philippe Deneau. Because if you heard in the Mark Shifley press conference there, he said, I was expected to get shut down by Philippe Deneau, not the NHL Department of Player Safety. Deneau is one of the best two-way centers in the NHL. He reminds me of a slightly less talented John Gabriel Paggio, similar type of player. So anyway, Will, we talked about a lot this week on the Penalty Box Podcast. One series can wrap up tonight. Vegas, Colorado. Vegas has a 3-2 to lead going back to T-Mobile Arena. They can shut it down. They can win the series and move on to the conference final against the Montreal Canadiens. Can you believe I'm saying that if I had said that to you in 2018 or 2019? Vegas versus Montreal in the conference final. How crazy that would sound. But uh, the Islanders, they move on. Their series against Tampa Bay will. Do you know when that starts? Have they released anything on that yet? No. Okay, so possibly sometime next week. I would say Saturday if I had to guess. All right, so hopefully Saturday the series starts. We'll see how it goes, and we'll be back here on the Penalty Box Podcast to break down either Game 1 or Game 2 of the Tampa Bay Islanders series and everything uh, that has come before it and after it. So until next time, Liam Godimer, Will Peshek, the Penalty Box Podcast. Thanks for joining us.